Thank you for joining us for a message from the Christian Fellowship Church of Kandu, North Dakota. Please visit our website for more information about our church at kanducfc.com. All right, so we're going to, we're in part nine of our emotional wholeness series here. I want to, we're going to play a game for, for starters. And no one is going to have to do anything weird. You don't have to stand up or sit down. You don't have to raise your hand even. I just want you to think about one question. I'm going to put four verses up on the screen, but only one of them is real. Three of them are fake. So I want you to look at these verses. I'll read them out for you if you can't see. I want you to read these and tell me which one is the real one. Okay? So verse A, sadness and pain no one will escape. Trouble will follow them to the grave. B, Sorrow is better than laughter, for when a face is sad, a heart may be happy. C, their tears will water the earth, new life will come from their sadness. D, as Lego underfoot causes pain, so grief comes just as quickly. (laughs) Really, there's only three options up there. I I figured I'd make it a little bit easier. So, what do you guys think? Like, you want to, should we shout out answers? Should we vote? Should we silent ballot? Raise hands. Vote. Okay. How many think A is the real verse? No takers. Okay. All right. How many think B is the real verse? A few brave souls. C. Anyone think C? Lots of people. Any takers on D? All right. Good. That is, you guys are good Christians. You know that Lego wasn't invented until after the canon was complete. So I love, to, I love to disappoint you because the correct answer is B. It's Ecclesiastes 7.3. Sorrow is better than laughter, for when a face is sad, a heart may be happy. Now, how many of you are kind of surprised that that one's the real one? Even I am. You know, I, I don't remember every single verse in the Bible, even though I know many of you give me credit for being that good. But I, I came across this verse this week, and I'm just like, wow, what a... What a conundrum this one is. It's so surprising, right? So maybe you've guessed already by this verse and the verses that were up there that today we are going to be talking about the emotion of grief. We can also call grief sadness or sorrow, as Ecclesiastes does here. Normally, I think most of us hear the words grief, sadness, and sorrow, and we say, those are bad things, and I want to do everything possible to avoid them. We might even assume they are purely negative, because no one would purposefully ever choose those emotions for themselves. But Ecclesiastes 7.3 has just told us that feeling sorrow is better than moments of laughter. It seems like this verse is saying that experiences that make our faces outwardly we appear sad actually provide an opportunity deep within our heart for us to enjoy happiness in the long run. So even though this may be tough to comprehend on the surface, we're going to discover today how grief can work in our favor if we have the right perspective on it. So let's pray and then we'll look at some scripture together. Lord God, thank you so much that our emotions are a wide spectrum. Lord, we're not going to run out of emotions to talk about. In fact, we're going to run out of time to talk about them in this series. But I just thank you so much that in each emotion you've shown us so far, we actually see that there's a good intent behind it. 
We know that without you, our emotions definitely take us captive and, and cause, uh, cause those things to run amok in our life. But when we turn to you, Jesus, we understand the good and the godly purpose that emotions have, even the emotion of grief. So as we look at this today, Jesus, I pray that you will help our hearts to be illuminated with your truth. And I pray that more than anything, Holy Spirit, you will minister to people who are dealing with deep grief. In this world, we are never ceasing to experience difficulty, sadness, sorrow, and grief. Deep despair is something that many of us could say that we've had before. But Lord Jesus, you are the one who has all the answers that we're looking for. So we tune our hearts to you, Jesus. We give you our attention because you are the one who can save us and give us hope once again. Amen. All right. So as we normally do, let's, let's just make sure that we're not assuming anything. Let's understand what is grief or what is sadness and sorrow. Grief is emotional suffering that occurs because we have gone through some sort of affliction, hardship, or loss. People can experience grief, sorrow, and sadness for a variety of reasons. Can we, can we just name a few reasons right now why people might experience grief Sadness or sorrow, just common life experiences, anyone at all? Death, Death. yeah, that's, that's the big one for sure. Loss of a job. Sickness, Sickness yeah, disease, diagnosis of all those things. Weather. Weather. <laughs> do you, Bruce, do you farm at all? Anyone else? Finances, <laughs> Finances? absolutely. Decisions of other people, yeah, that's right. They can cause us grief for sure. Relationships. Relationships, yeah. Does sin cause grief? Yeah, it sure does. So none of these things are moments that we would necessarily want or desire to happen to us. And all of them on some level bring us grief. So sure, some people are more easily turned into a, a state of grief than others, but nonetheless, all of these things have negative consequences for our emotional state. No matter what culture, class, or circumstances a person lives in, grief is an inescapable experience. You don't have to be poor to just experience grief. And it's not only rich people who experience grief. It's people from all walks of life. No one is immune to disappointment, loss, hurt, sickness, or death. And everyone will experience some degree of grief, sadness, and sorrow as a result of those difficulties. So we know kind of what grief is now, and we always try to tune our hearts into Jesus. So let's ask the question, what brought grief to Jesus? Because we might learn something if we understand why he grieved. So as we've done in this series, we, let's, let's take a look here and, and see a handful of moments where Jesus experienced this emotion of grief. So Mark 8, verse 11 to 13 says, when the Pharisees heard that Jesus had arrived, they came and started to argue with him, testing him. They demanded that he show them a miraculous sign from heaven to prove his authority. When he heard this, he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, why do these people keep demanding a miraculous sign? I tell you the truth, I will not give this generation any such sign. So he got back into the boat and left them and he crossed to the other side of the lake. 
So when it says in verse 12 here that he sighed deeply in his spirit, the kind of sigh, it's interesting in like, if you go to the Greek word for sigh, which doesn't matter what it actually is, but it explains it saying it was a moan that went from high to low. And doesn't that exactly, you know, describe how like a frustrating or saddening sigh is? It's like, right? High to low. It's a moan. It's frustration. That's the sigh. That's the sadness that Jesus experienced here. And Jesus was saddened by the Pharisees. Jesus had been preaching about the kingdom of God in an effort to incite people to put their faith in him. But the Pharisees were argumentative and skeptical about Jesus in their heart. Whether Jesus sighed out loud or just in his own heart isn't especially clear in this passage. Some, some translations say that he just sighed. They don't say that he sighed in his spirit. But Jesus' sadness over the lack of the faith of the Pharisees is clear and evident. It was an argumentative spirit and hardness of heart towards Jesus that brought him sadness. In John 11, Jesus receives news of his friend Lazarus, who is now sick. We've heard this story once in this series already. A few days later, when Jesus arrives at Lazarus' home, he finds friends and family uh, mourning the death of Lazarus. When Jesus saw all the people weeping and wailing, John 11:35 says, Jesus wept. So obviously weeping, especially over someone's death, And the sight of other people experiencing loss is a sign of deep sadness. Jesus weeps at the very least as a sign of empathy for everyone else that was grieving the death of Lazarus. It's also possible that Jesus may have been weeping because of the lack of belief or understanding of what was possible through him. And everyone was overcome by their physical situation and their eyes momentarily came off of the spiritual reality of what Jesus could provide. A few verses later, before Jesus wept, Lazarus' sisters, Martha and Mary, each said to Jesus, if only you would have been here, my brother would not have died. So they think that it has to be physical proximity that would save someone from death. But perhaps there's a greater reality that they were missing, that Jesus, through his being God in flesh, he could heal even from a distance. He did that with the the centurion's son. Hebrews 5 verse 7 says, While Jesus was here on earth, he offered prayers and pleadings with a loud cry and tears to the one who could rescue him from death. And God heard his prayers because of his deep reverence for God. So like we've mentioned already in this series, two times where Jesus showed great emotion was the Garden of Gethsemane before Jesus is arrested and also on the cross at Calvary. Hebrews 5.7 points to both of those occasions. Both in the garden before Jesus is arrested and moments before he goes to the cross, Jesus is going through great loss, great affliction in his spirit. And he cries out to God in deep and intense grief. Jesus feels the grief of following God because it's difficult to do so, though he wants to do it. He wants to be obedient. And he feels the sting of the sorrow that sin brings upon himself as the sin is, is uh, standing now between him and the Father, and he's never experienced that before. It wasn't his sin, but it was our sin that he carried bodily on the cross. That's what brought him deep grief. 
Luke 19, verse 41 to 44 says, As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of Jesus' coming to you. So here we see Jesus, uh, this is part of his, his entry into Jerusalem the week before or during the week that he's going to be crucified. And as he's coming in, he pauses as he can look over the city and he realizes the spiritual state of the Jewish nation. And he is saddened because he says, oh, if they would have just realized who I am, if they would have just realized what God is doing for them right now, this could have been so different. But he grieves because he knows that they don't recognize or acknowledge him as God's son, who he truly was. So Jesus really did experience grief on a number of occasions. He grieved due to people's hardness of heart, unbelief, the sting of sin, and people failing to recognize him as God's son. It was actually prophesied that this would be Jesus' experience on earth. In Isaiah 53, verse 3, it says, He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. So this prophecy summarizes the experiences of Jesus during his life here on earth. So clearly... We can say that Jesus knows how to empathize with people who are grieving as we saw in the one story. And we can understand that he cares about us as we go through grief because he himself experienced those things. Now, we're going to get into another section here. This might be a little bit surprising because I want to talk about how good grief is. I'm so glad that our Savior was saddened by all the things that saddened him in these passages that we just read Can you imagine if none of these things that we read about, unbelief, sin, or or hardness of heart, can you imagine if none of those things would have bothered Jesus? If none of those things would have caused him sadness and grief? He wouldn't be righteous if that was the case. He wouldn't be truly good. But sorrow, sadness, and grief were emotions that Jesus felt often as he encountered a fallen and broken world, the same one that you and I live in today. And in doing so, Jesus demonstrates to us that emotionally, we ought to be moved to grieve and be full of sorrow over the brokenness of ourselves and others. We live in the very same world that Jesus did. Yeah, there's more technology now, but that's really the only difference because even 2,000 years ago, the same things that plague our world today were running rampant back then. We might think that things were so different and that's why Jesus had to come then. I sometimes wonder, why did you come so soon? Because man, it feels worse now. So clearly grief over these things is, is if we learn to grieve over sin and learn to be saddened because of our sinful state or the sinful state of others, we're going to somehow relate to the heart of Jesus. And I'm not talking about an inconsolable depression or a feeling of helplessness that makes us feel like just giving up, okay? But rather a godly degree of sorrow is what we're supposed to have because we understand 
how poor of a state our world is in. And it compels us to respond to Jesus and, and, how, and, and learn how he responds to people in those situations. Let me ask you this. In any of these stories that we just read about Jesus experiencing grief, did Jesus ever just give up out of frustration? No, he didn't. Did Jesus ever lose hope? No, that's right. Did Jesus ever look at the mission and just say, what's the purpose anymore? No, he didn't. But his grief served him by showing him that where he was investing his time and energy and love and mercy, it was desperately needed. And it was very good that he was in the place that he was. And grief can also serve us well. The feelings of grief that Jesus went through and the sadness and the sorrow that you and I encounter today help us in more ways than we realize sometimes. So friends, if you're a note taker, I'd strongly encourage you to to be ready to write down over the next few minutes because we're going to look at 10 ways, 10 unique ways that grief actually helps us. So, oh Shiloh, I love you. That's okay. Um, don't you love it when we have kids making noise? And not like bad noise. Like noise that makes you feel like, man, there's life here. There's a future generation that we can be praying for. So I love you guys. Yeah, it's exciting. Okay. So number one, the first and, and, and most obviously, grief tells us that probably something negative has taken place and deeply impacted us. Tragedy, loss, trouble, tribulation, the effects of our sin, ours or someone else's, whatever you want to call it, these kinds of things happen. When negative things like this happen, they are meant to register with us emotionally. And the feeling of sadness and sorrow get our spirit's attention and tell us that something is wrong. And that's a good thing. Is, is it good to understand right from wrong? Yeah, our, our emotions and grief actually serve us in that. While we were living in Winnipeg, I met a man who suffered from post-traumatic stress disorder. We'll call this man John. The reason for this PTSD was because John witnessed a friend of his whom he loved and cared for deeply jump from the top of a parking garage in downtown Winnipeg to end his life. John had spent significant time with his friend, witnessing to him about Christ, telling him or trying to help him with his drug addiction, getting him the help that he needed. And seeing his friend jump to his death was upsetting, to say the least. And now grief and sorrow clouded over John. It's obvious that John's friend was overcome by sin and ending his own life was equally sinful. The results of that sin affected John with an almost unshakable sadness. Now, can you imagine if John would have said, oh, that's too bad, I guess we'll just get on with life. No, like seeing someone who is lost in life end their life because of their own sin and grief and sorrow, it should move us. It should cause us to feel grief as well. Number two, the degree of grief also communicates the significance or the severity of the situation that we're in. When the Twins eliminated the Blue Jays from the playoffs in early October, yeah, I was sad. However, when I recently heard of a sexual abuse allegation against a pastor who I've never met, but I've followed and I've, I've read his stuff and I really respected and trusted, when I heard about those sexual abuse allegations, I was deeply grieved. How could this happen? I wondered. Jesus, I hope this isn't true. I can't see 
how this won't just bring a huge black mark on your church. So both times I felt sadness, right? But really there's no comparison when we understand the significance of each situation to us as believers. Now you guys know I'm a huge baseball fan. I coach here in town. Me and Easton, we watch the Blue Jays all the time. But a baseball game has zero eternal meaning. Zero. It's just a game. And win or lose, it changes nothing in the kingdom of God. However, the integrity of a spiritual leader who has hundreds of thousands of people looking to him for guidance, that has huge meaning. And these allegations, rightly or wrongly, will influence how many people relate to Jesus from this day forward. The possibility of these allegations being true and negatively affecting people's faith in Jesus has left me broken hearted. Third, Grief can also reveal how closely we are walking in relationship with God. I'm going to share three examples from the Bible with you. In Mark 14, verse 72, it says, And immediately the rooster crowed the second time. Suddenly, Jesus' words flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times that you, or deny three times that you even know me. And he broke down and wept. So Peter wept. Because he had denied that he even knew Jesus three times, just as Jesus predicted that he would. Peter wept out of sadness and regret at the state of his devotion to Jesus. His grief revealed that when his faith was tested, he would easily cave under the pressure. In Mark 16, Mary Magdalene goes to Jesus' tomb, finds that it's empty, and then sees Jesus alive. In Mark 16, verse 10 and 11 says, She went to the disciples who were grieving and weeping, and she told them what had happened. And when she told them that Jesus was alive and she had seen him, they didn't believe her. When grief prevents us from believing good news, something's wrong, right? Grief can bring confusion and doubt into our lives, that's for sure. Mary shared good news that Jesus was alive. The good news should conquer all sadness. Unfortunately, grief and skepticism prevailed in this moment with the disciples. In Acts 21, Paul receives a prophetic message from a man named Agabus. The, The message communicated that Paul would be arrested by the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem and turned over to the Gentiles. All of the people with Paul, when he heard this prophecy, started to weep and they begged Paul, please don't go to Jerusalem. We don't want this to happen to you. In Acts 21, 13, Paul replies by saying, why all this weeping? You are breaking my heart. I I am ready not only to be jailed at Jerusalem, but even to die for the sake of the Lord Jesus. So here Paul's lack of grief and his attitude of submission, obedience, and courage to live for God revealed how intimately connected to God Paul was. Someone who is easily shaken in their faith, someone who hasn't spent much time knowing God's will for them, bad news would say, okay, I'm out. If this is what being a Christian is, I'm not interested. But Paul knew the good and gracious will of God. And that even though it might be hard and it might cause grief to some, it wouldn't to him because he said God's will is always good. Number four. Those three things, first of all, those three things all show differences in how grief can affect us. And they reveal the intimacy that we're experiencing or not with God. Number four, 
Grief helps us to identify sin and wickedness. In Genesis 6, verse 5 to 6, it says, The Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth, and he saw that everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. So the Lord was very sorry he ever made them and put them on the earth. It broke his heart. So wickedness and evil broke God's heart. If we are longing to have the heart of God in us, grief serves a wonderful purpose in helping us understand what is sinful or wicked all around us. Sharing sorrow with God over sin helps us know what is wrong in this world. And when we are grieved over what is wrong, we can avoid it, warn others about it, and even learn to fight against evil that we detect with goodness. Number five, grief teaches us to repent. There it is. Good. Second Corinthians seven, verse 10 for the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. There's no regret for that kind of sorrow, but worldly sorrow, which lacks repentance results in spiritual death. So this is the, the, there is a kind of sorrow that's not only good, but if you read this verse again, it says that God wants us to experience it. When we have sorrow because of our sins, it gives us a chance to repent or turn away from that sin and turn to God. Without sorrow and grief over our sins, we'll never see our need to repent and turn to God. What a scary uh, place that could be. Here's an example of what godly sorrow looks like from a story that Jesus told in Luke 18 verse 13. There's a, a Pharisee and a tax collector in a temple. They're both praying and Jesus says, this is what the, the tax collector said. But the tax collector st stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. So no doubt this tax collector stood in the temple that day and admitted his desperate need for God's mercy because of the sins of his life that had brought grief on him. Often I get to interact with people who are sick of living the life that they're living. That's just one of the privileges I have as a pastor. I get to meet people sometimes in their lowest state and, and I hear about what it is that has caused them to be so full of grief and sorrow and, and hatred for even the life that they're living. And they search for help. But without that grief, they would never have the desire to search for anything better than the sinful existence that they're stuck in. So we we are very thankful that the Holy Spirit lets us know that the grief we're experiencing is not what we want and there is something better that we can choose. Grief also shows us our need for hope in Christ. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 and 14 say, And now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died so that you will not grieve like people who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring back with him the believers who have died. Friends, we ask for, like, what are sources of grief? The, the grief, the very first thing that I, I think a couple of people said was death. Yeah, death is hard. It's difficult to deal with. We go to funerals and people are weeping and they're sad and they're grieved in their heart at the loss of someone they love. When we wonder about the death of a loved one, our grief should send us to God and his word where we are reminded that Christ has conquered death. 
and we will live again because of him. That's a good reality, right? And this is why even people sometimes when they, when they don't grow up in church and yet they have a funeral, they say, well, we should go to a church because that's where funerals happen. And, and then we get a chance as people who are serving sandwiches or, or consoling the family or anything, we get a chance to point them towards the hope that actually exists because death does not have the final say. In Luke or in John 16:33, Jesus says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Who has overcome the world, friends? Good. That's absolutely right. That's something we need to be so sure of. Apart from him, our trouble will amount to nothing but grief. But as we place our hope in him, our grief is put into perspective and we can take heart because the one that we trust in, he's already won the greatest battles that we're experiencing. That's where hope comes into play. John 14, verse 1 to 2, Jesus says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? When trouble produces grief, we can be crushed by our own circumstances. When we hope in the Lord, we realize that our trouble is temporary. It's just a a short-lived earthly experience. Our grief will pass and our future with Jesus will be hopeful, eternal, and bright. Man, if we keep eternity in perspective, no matter what we experience here on earth, we'll just realize, oh yeah, I can handle this. 80 more years? Sure. Not a big deal. In the light of eternity, that's nothing. Man, that perspective we need, right? Because some of us live lives where we go through a season of three or four months of difficulty. Some people are born into difficulty and that's their experience for the entirety of their lives. But if they have their hope in Jesus Christ, our perspective is there, right? We understand things so much differently and whatever we go through now, it's like no big deal. It's not going to last forever, but what will last forever is the joy of eternal bliss that I have with Jesus. Yeah, that's so good. Number seven, grief shows us our need for what only God can do. Revelation 21, verse 3 to 4. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them, and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from our eyes, and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things will be temporarily taken out of your life. Is that what it says? No. It says they'll be gone forever. God alone is the one who can quell all grief, death, sorrow, crying, and pain. In him, one day, these things will be gone for all eternity. Can you imagine what that's going to be like? I can't. Because all of our lives are filled daily with difficulties, right? Difficulties, sorrows, grief. Yeah, we have good moments, of course. But we know that, well, I hope I don't wake up on the wrong side of the bed tomorrow because I could just throw everything off. It'll be deep grief again. But man, like the amazing experience that we're going to have with Christ is that all of this will be gone forever. And he is the only one who can do that. Grief reminds us of the sufficiency of God to do things that we couldn't even dream of. So we can turn to God to accomplish what we might think is impossible, but all things are possible through Christ. 
Our grief reminds us that we need to trust in God for what only he can do. Eight, grief prompts us to pray, of course. When we're stuck with sadness or sorrow, we need to have a God-honoring response. When we are hit hard by grief, it's always good to pray. How many of you, when you, when you experience deep grief, I've been here too. How many of you, when you experience deep grief, it's actually hard sometimes to convince yourself to be quiet and pray? Yeah, we get lost in our own thoughts and our, and our own worries consume us. And, 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 the, and the fear that comes with grief and sorrow and sadness, it moves us to like this emotional state of paralysis. I think that actually happens. Plus, on top of that, I, I think the devil sees us in our grief. And man, he wants to just rub our nose in it. Kind of like what we said last week. He wants to remind us that you'll never overcome this. This is the worst thing you've ever had happen to you. This is why your life is over, right? Those kind of lies associated with grief can literally kill somebody. There was a, a pastor the town over from where I grew up and, and his, his son was dating a girl at Bible college and she broke up with him. And as a result, he didn't know what else to do besides end his life. I mean, that, that's so sad and so tragic. Grief for anyone, especially Christians, though we should understand like this doesn't define our life. Right? And that's why we need to pray. We need to go to God and get perspective again. Many of David's prayers in, in the Psalms, they're, they're like a lament. A lament is kind of like venting to God and then eventually turning things around and saying, but, and then reminding yourselves of the good things of God. Uh, Psalm 3, verse 1 to 4 is an example of that. Lord, how my enemies have increased. Many are rising up against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. But you, Lord, are a shield around me, my glory and the one who lifts my head. I was crying out to the Lord with my voice and he answered me from his holy mountain. Man, prayer is good. We need, in our grief, we have to get on our knees and give God a chance to help us stand up again, right? Number nine, grief helps us comfort and encourage others. Sometimes we may just recognize someone else who's going through deep sorrow or grief or, or something like that, right? When we see that, we're compelled or we should be compelled to help them, encourage them and carry, our, carry their burdens with them. Empathy due to grief urges us to be active Christians who live out our faith. I think grief or our awareness of grief is such a good thing that actually causes us to spring into action. And number 10, grief reminds us that we need the truth of the gospel. It's unfortunate that sometimes it, or it sometimes takes deep grief for us to search for God. But as grief increases, the beauty of the good news about Jesus also increases. When everything's going well, it's hard sometimes for people to understand that there's a God who loves them and has saved them from their sins because everything's going their way. Why would I need to bother submitting to someone else? But grief actually brings us slow and shows us that perhaps we're disobeying God. Perhaps we're under the judgment of God and we need to change our position. We see God's good news more clearly. We appreciate it more fully when grief enters our life. Without grief or sorrow, we may never see our need to be born again through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. 
Grief causes us to look into Jesus. It moves us to put our faith in him. And it urges us to trust in him continually from that day forward. So there was 10 things. There's probably more. But there were 10 things of, 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 that are positive that actually benefit us because of the emotion of grief. So can you see today, friends, how grief actually helps us to understand ourselves and to understand our own relationship with God? Grief isn't something that we need to fear or, or do everything possible to avoid. It's actually a gift. Through grief, we're motivated to live in close relationship with Jesus, to come close to God, to be open to his Holy Spirit, to live our lives based on truth rather than on lies. Let's go back to Ecclesiastes 7 verse 3 for just a minute here. We highlighted this verse right off the top this morning, and it said, Sorrow is better than laughter, for when a face is sad, a heart may be happy. I think we're seeing why sorrow has been painted in a positive light in this verse. Sorrow has more benefits to us than a lifestyle of exclusively joking around and having a good time or just recreation and enjoyment. When we're sad, it causes us to pause. It causes us to think about our lives. When we think about our lives, we're more open to the wisdom and the counsel of God. Having God's wisdom and counsel, that's what makes us happy. Not avoiding every negative thing that could ever come against us. The lie so many of us believe is that we need to live a life free of grief and sadness. But, the life, but that life might actually prevent us from even considering our need for God's help, salvation, purpose, and his perspective. Now, some of us here today might be hurting or feeling a little bit helpless in our grief. We feel like we've been walking through a, a thick fog and it just doesn't seem to want to lift. I want to encourage you with what God says to people who are in your position. Because we've all been there and we need to turn to God. So what I want to invite you to do is I have four verses I just want to read. But I want you to close your eyes. I just want you to listen, okay? Listen and meditate on the word of God. Allow these things to minister to you if that's what you need right now. And maybe you'll realize that you need it and, and that wasn't what you thought initially. Psalm 88 verse 9. My eyes are bl blinded by my tears. Each day I beg for your help, O Lord. I lift my hands to you for mercy. Psalm 119 verse 28. My soul is weary with sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. Psalm 147 verse 3. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. And the words of Jesus from Luke 4 verse 18. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free. Lord Jesus, when we read this verse from Luke, we see your heart for those who are poor in spirit, who know that there's something not right. Those who are prisoners who are shackled under the grief of their sin. Those who are blind and have not 
given you their heart and their attention. Or those who are oppressed by grief and sorrow and sadness in their own life because of sin. And they need to be set free. Lord Jesus, we are so glad that you are the source of what frees us from grief. Everything we need, Jesus, we turn to you, we receive from you, and you bless us, you help us. We praise you for that, Lord, that you are the antidote to grief. You are the one who even gives grief meaning and purpose. And nothing can take us captive because we can set our eyes on you and you are the one who sets us free. Amen.